Himalaya. You're listening to the Lighthouse by One World Group, a Himalaya learning audio course. To leave your comments, view our show notes, and other resources from our guests, visit our show website at www. dot one world group. That's one world g r p. dot com forward slash lighthouse. Be sure to also check out all of the other awesome exclusive content in the Himalaya app or on Himalaya. dot com. Hi everyone! Welcome back to the Lighthouse. I'm your host Lily Wong, and I have a treat for everyone today. I have with me my friend John Burns. John is the、uh, One of the smartest people I've met in real estate. He runs a consulting firm, John Burns Real Estate Consulting, and I will include his website on the podcast website page. And he's worked with、uh, top institutions to provide analyses and guidance on investments and markets and demographics. He's really got pretty unique angles on looking at the world and using creative ways to find useful data. Very cool data-driven information. A real insider's insider, and I think this is a real awesome opportunity for you guys, listeners, because usually it, it's John's not cheap. He's very expensive, and <laughs> the top Wall Street guys pay for his services. So this is kind of a cool opportunity. And John, you also authored this book, "Big Shifts Ahead: Demographic Clarity for Businesses."、Um, yeah. Is that available on Amazon, or it, is, is that is through your website? Nine thousand hours of research for twenty bucks. It's a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. So I encourage everybody to go and check that out. John's got a BA from Stanford and MBA from UCLA, and、uh, we're colleagues with the Stanford professionals in real estate. So a real dummy, obviously. Also, avid baseball fan and a runner. Anything else that you want me to add to introduce you? No, no. I, I've got I've got a lot of people that make me look smart. So maybe that. <laughs> there's there's more than sixty of us that are trying to figure this out, along with hundreds of. Right, really, thousands of clients. That's where all the brain trust comes from, not from me. Yeah, you've got a really awesome team too. I do. So we're a few quarters into、uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic crisis, <laughs> and you know I've been on a lot of these webinars and podcasts, and the loudest voices are talking about、uh, retail apocalypse, you know, hospitality's comatose. Offices, you know, being squeezed, multifamily rent delays. There's an eviction tsunami. Like, there's a lot of overall blanket macro negative news. Do you agree with the rhetoric? Do you have a different take? Are you seeing trends that you think are more nuanced beyond these? I think everything. I agree with everything you you just said. I actually think multifamily is going to be a little worse than the trends we've seen so far, but. Thinking longer term, though, I actually think the U.S. housing market is going to be the, the leader leading the economy out of this. So、uh, I'll be more optimistic on the for sale housing market than I will on anything else. Oh, really? I mean, housing is usually less liquid, right? The least liquid asset. So why why would that be that they would be the leader out of this crisis? Ah,、uh, well, the, the recession we had in two thousand and one, housing was the leader too. So the the reason I think it's a leader is.、Uh, Nothing really is broken in housing.、Mm. We're, not, we're not overbuilding. In fact, we're probably a little undersupplied. Mortgage rates have gotten really low. In fact, home sales are now up already year over year thanks to low mortgage rates. And the Fed says they're going to keep rates low, and the bond market thinks long-term rates are going to be low. In fact, the Fed is buying mortgage-backed securities to keep mortgage securities low. 
I, I think the Fed needs housing to lead us out of it. So uh, I'm pretty bearish on the economy, but I'm uh, pretty neutral on uh, the, the for sale housing market. I think it's I, I think there's going to have some tough times ahead, but I think long term it's going to be a winner. I see. So you don't you don't think that there's going to be a personal financial crisis that's going to lead into any kind of mortgage housing crisis like in 08? Uh, well, there's going to be all sorts of crises, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I, housing is in so much better shape than it was in 2008. Though we're we're building about half as many homes as we were back then. The mortgage industry has has been very conservative. The home builders have been very conservative. It, it really barely recovered from the horrendous downturn last time, and that and that's why I think it's going to do better. And if, if you want to study history, you go back and look at the 2001 recession in the United States. Housing was about 10 years after the great SNL crisis, which was a huge housing bust, too. And housing led us out of that. So I think there's a parallel here as well. Gotcha. That's the first bit of good news I've heard in a while. <laughs> well, it, I mean, we're still forecasting home prices to fall a little bit. So I guess you could call that good news. Uh, but compared to the other things you mentioned, like retail and office and hospitality, holy mackerel, yeah, it's definitely good news compared to those sectors. Gotcha. So you mentioned the whole, if if we're waiting for home prices to fall, and, and I hear this about how like the public reads basically got crushed in the stock market, but you're not seeing the private sector um, price discovery as yet. Like they're not they're not falling suit. Um, and we're obviously seeing this as well. We're out there trying to buy things, and it's like this is very expensive. Um, but as a potential investor, uh, should I be waiting? Is that is that what I'm hearing from you? Like you think there's a little bit more room to, to, I, to fall? I, I don't think you're going to get a great deal if you wait. So, yeah. uh, I mean, we're, we're forecasting that home prices are going to trend up a little bit this, this year. And then when we start to see foreclosures and some of the distress appear next year, they'll trend down again. But uh, I, I'm pretty confident home prices aren't going to fall dramatically. The the other thing I will mention that is very different this time is the last recession created these huge companies that buy foreclosures and, and, and rent them out. And they've all got a lot of money. They've all raised a lot more money to buy more. So when that opportunity comes, I think there's going to be a lot of capital chasing it. So I, I just don't, I, I think there's a buffer there to the downside. Gotcha. And I, you know, I'm talking about homes you would rent out. I know some of your clients want to buy million dollar homes in coastal cities. That's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the heart of America, like single family home rental business. Like you saw right. the invitation homes, right. really, yeah, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you do you think when we talk about places like the heart of America and you know, like in the last crisis, people were able to scoop up things in like Detroit for like two three thousand dollars rehab, rent them out. Like there were some real distress deals. Um, but not all markets are created equal. So how do you, or how do you splice that out? Um, survivor versus vulnerable markets. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Detroit because that that might play out again in Detroit. The auto industry is getting destroyed. Their unemployment rate is already twenty five percent. Their COVID mm-hmm. rate is among the highest in the country. Uh, I, I, I do think Detroit's going to be down for the count here. Whether or not it'll snap back is probably a more important question on whether or not prices will fall dramatically. Uh, yeah. 
did it snap back really since the last crisis? Because I... well, that's probably it, it didn't really. I mean, if you yeah. bought a home for five thousand dollars, you probably made money, but you didn't. You didn't make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, gotcha. Are there markets that you particularly like? Like when you look at markets, or if you know, for for instance, this audience, you know, they don't have your team of experts. When they look at markets, you know, what kind of things? should they be looking for if they're looking at investable opportunities across the board? Are there any locations that you just really love right now? Well, everybody's appetite is, is different. So, I mean, are you talking about somebody, somebody who wants to buy something and then rent it out is different than somebody who just wants to make a quick buck um, is different than somebody like that house in Detroit probably needs $50,000 improvements to make it inhabitable. I mean, everybody's appetite is different, so it's hard for me to say which market's better than another. Um, I'll, I'll say a few things, though. So I, I think one of the things that's going to happen here is you're going to see more of a shift from the urban areas to the suburban areas, particularly until the, we get rid of the virus. But even the demographics were supporting some of that shift, too. So I, I think this the suburbs, and particularly if you go to a suburb that is one of the best areas to live in and the best schools and, and doesn't have a lot of um, potential for somebody to build a lot more, that's probably going to appreciate more than other areas. And uh, I also think one of the trends is going to be more American professionals working from home. Mm -hmm. So that might be two hours from San Francisco, or it might be rural areas. Uh, I think both of those areas are going to experience more growth in the urban areas the next few years. So I think those are good places to look as well. It's interesting because the last, I would say, you know, decade, there's been a lot of talk about urbanization. Yeah. And, you know, in Silicon Valley, especially around our Stanford bubble, it's been things are getting automated. Look at Uber, rental, sharing economy, like nobody's living in the suburbs. And it seems like we're boomeranging back to let's look at school districts and all that. stuff. Yeah. So. And Facebook's already said everybody can work from home for the rest of the year. So, so in your particular market, there's some great examples going on. There's a city, an hour and a half with no commute from where you are called Lathrop, California, where home sales are very robust. And I have a client who's doing huh. very well in Modesto. And and I the buyer profile there tends to be a professional who's making good money, who maybe had a job in Mountain View and never could hope to buy a home in Mountain View. And now they've got the permission to work from home and maybe they have to commute next year, one or two days a week. But, um, I, I think that's the sea change we're seeing now. And I see, I'm seeing it in my business where we sent everybody home. Some people are, we're getting more out of them at home. And so I'm definitely saying you can keep working from home. That'll be fine wherever you are. It's like a trend that got accelerated. Exactly. No, it is a trend that got accelerated. But, you know, and actually Silicon Valley was going the opposite way. Remember Marissa Mayer made everybody come, come in and, the theory was that you're not creative on your own. And, and we're actually seeing some pretty interesting creativity of people that are connecting on Zoom or Microsoft Teams and, and really solving problems through technology because they have to solve it for themselves. Huh. That's, that's, I, th I think that makes sense to me. But what about the transaction volume? Right, right now we're in the middle of a crisis and you're saying people are moving to suburbs. Are they waiting to move or are you seeing home sales being very steady 
um, around suburbs with good, I guess, demographics and fundamentals. We're seeing we're seeing home sales pick up pretty, oh, wow. pretty strongly. Yeah, and uh, I mean once once you get below maybe seven eight hundred thousand dollar price point, I think sales are very strong. I think in Northern California and in the Northeast and those places where homes are above a million dollars, that's not the case. But in most of America, sales are picked up pretty strongly. One of the trends we saw during the stay at home was uh, people were looking at their house saying, I can't believe I live here. I don't like the kitchen. <laughs> I don't I... And so there actually was a ton of uh, do-it-yourself uh, remodeling projects going on. Paint sales boomed. And when the weather warmed up, the landscaping business boomed. If you look at Home Depot's results during this whole time. Oh, yeah. they've, they've done great. And now that we've opened up, people who said, you know, I just want out of this house altogether. If we're going to have to quarantine again, I want to do it in something nicer. I want to do it in something I own. The Fed has bought mortgage rates down to 3.1%, the lowest ever. So, hey, if we're going to buy, what are we waiting for? And and that's what's driving it. On the other side, there are a lot of people that lost their jobs, but that's not the majority of people. It's, It's the people who feel comfortable at work that are driving this strong recovery. That's incredible. And in terms of shifting, are you seeing people move from like, you know, New York City to sub- suburban New York, to suburban New- versus like Mountain View to Modesto? Or are you seeing, you know, people move from San Francisco to Austin, for instance, like, are they making long distance moves? Or is it just like, let, let me just retry my life somewhere else? Or is it more, more local? Uh, both. And uh, I know you like the U-Haul chart. I do. <laughs> so we just updated it. So I've, I've got some some surprising information in there to me. So people were moving to Portland and Seattle. Mm-hmm. Now that it's net out migration. People are really, there's far more people leaving Portland and Seattle, at least middle-class people who would rent a U-Haul truck um, than coming in. And so, and going to places like Texas. So we're, we're definitely seeing some of that. Can you explain the U-Haul analysis? Yeah. So, <laughs> so the migration data, people moving around America is is not that great. So one of the things we do is we go to U-Haul's website and we rent a 20-foot truck from one city to another and then rent the same truck back. We And if, if there's equal numbers of people moving back and forth, the price will be about the same. It's the exact same truck and the exact same distance. But what it what it shows is, you know, the places where people are leaving um, is a lot more um, expensive to take the truck out. And then they'll pay you, they'll charge you less to bring a truck back. Hmm. It doesn't account for foreign migration. I mean, California and the Northeast have been domestic out migration for a very long time, but they've been filled in by people arriving here on airplanes. Now that has slowed, obviously. So I'm very cautious on the great urban areas like LA, New York, Miami right now for that reason. That's interesting because for the international set, you know, you can make an argument about that being an opportunity for people because global investors still are only recognizing core markets. There's no way to get somebody to buy in Modesto. And, you know, we'll have a, we're, we're, we're be doing a conversation around international buyers and everything uh, a couple episodes from now, but I think that's a really interesting contrast. Uh, That's cool. 
Yes. Some of my home builder clients that cater to those those investors are yeah. driving them out to places like Modesto and getting them to buy in Texas and places they haven't bought before for exactly the reasons you just mentioned. And so there is a segment of international buyer that is doing those things that was not doing it before. That's interesting. A lot of our buyers that were that traditionally been international, they've bought mostly for their children. Like in the core markets, very few people buy to enjoy the 2% cap rate and the high maintenance costs of New York City. And the people that do go into suburbs and that buy to rent, the headache has always been the management portion. So I could see if a home builder says, you know, we'll take care of the managing for you. We'll take care of the whole single family rental model for you. Um, you know, we should put them in touch with Gary, actually. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, like, I think that would be that I could see how that could be very attractive in this market, especially since across the board, we're seeing our clients downsize. You know, we're not selling anything in the, you know, nine, eight, seven figures. <laughs> so it's all coming down. Right. Well, and you mentioned a bunch of profile. I mean, somebody buying for their kids is looking for a different house than somebody just trying to make a quick buck. So that's why it's 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 hard to generalize here. Right, right. Uh, have you spotted any other interesting trends and patterns, like in addition to kind of the U-Haul usage data? Um, what, what's been interesting to you? Anything jump out? Uh, one of the surprising things, there's a couple surprises. So Two markets that you think should be getting hit the hardest are Las Vegas because they've shut down all the casinos yep. and Houston because oil prices have fallen to their lowest in history. Yep. And ac- actually, we're seeing strong home sales in Las Vegas and Houston at the lowest price points driven by renters who never thought they could become homeowners saying, hey, you know, this is the same monthly payment as my rent. And one, one thing maybe a lot of your clients don't completely understand is the, the the U.S. government subsidizes mortgages here where people only have to come up with 5% of the price and then the government will make them a very favorable mortgage on top of it. it it's turning a lot of people who never thought they'd become homeowners into homeowners. Oh, wow. I, I would even, even if you told me mortgage rates would be 3.1%, I would not have said that I thought Houston and Las Vegas home sales would be doing well right now, but they are. Wow. I mean, last cycle, the first thing that came to mind were the opportunistic, I guess, the the speculators who bought and rent and took advantage of the rent versus purchase. And so you're saying renters are now buying because the home sales, uh, the home prices have fallen so far. Right. In Las Vegas, they might be renting for $1,400 a month. And then for $1,300 a month, I can become a homeowner. That's I'm interesting. Homeowner. With five percent <laughs> down, why not? Yeah. Well, there's also this, and I get to own my own place where I'm not, you know, punching numbers on an elevator and not living with all these people that might be sick. There's a health element to this too. There's just there's just a lot of reasons to go get your own place, and and I think it's, a lot of it is driven by both of those things: the the virus and the super super low mortgage rates. I see. So do you then are, are you more bearish on multifamily, especially in core markets? Very, very bearish on multifamily. <laughs> and I've, I've had a lot of critics, but interestingly, in the last month, more and more people start to be agreeing with me. So multifamily, first of all, there's the health aspect of it. You're living with a whole bunch of people, so it's a little bit riskier. But more importantly than that, um, 
seven, 13% unemployment rate right now. That means in, in apartment complex, it's probably 15 to 20% of people are out of work. Mm-hmm. The government is paying their, uh, a very high unemployment uh, payment right now and just through the end of July. So people are continuing to pay their rent. Assuming the government doesn't do that forever, a lot of those people are going to go into default. And then you have a 33-year high level of multifamily construction homes under construction right now, which are going to finish, put a whole bunch of brand new, beautiful apartments that are empty on the market, and people are going to have to lease those up. And the only way to lease them up is by uh, really cheap rents and offering a lot of rent concessions. So I I think it's going to be really, really brutal uh, for the apartment market and then the urban areas even more so. Got it. Is it, does it sound, it, it sounds to me like class A is really going to get hit because all the new construction, yeah. people aren't building class C or class B. Um, do people then, if let's say an eviction wave comes, do then they, do they downgrade to class B, class C? Um, or do you think the collectability of those will deteriorate as well? And then what, what happens? They become homeless. Like what, like yeah. where does it go? The, 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 it's, there's a lot in that. So, so yeah. the layoffs, have been very heavily concentrated at the lowest rent points. So they're probably a much higher unemployment rate in class B and C than in class A. So mm-hmm. there's already distress there. But, but what happens if class A is $500 more a month than class B, if they drop their rents by 500 bucks, you're going to see class B, everyone in class B go move into a nicer class A apartment for the same rent. <laughs> and class mm-hmm. B is going to have no choice but to drop their rents to, to hold on to tenants. So it, it's a, it's a vicious cycle that they play off of each other. Yeah. Do you think there's any purchase to, um, there's some legislation proposed, especially in California with, I guess, like a uh, rental deferment, um, like tenant rights where, you know, like people have clauses where they say like any kind of force majeure, any kind of pandemic, anything like that, I'm out. And that's for con- consumer and residential, uh, what do you what do you think of that? Do you think that's going to get passed? Do you think that's going to get like uh, strong support? Well, there's a couple of things. So a lot of it's at the local level. I know the mayor of San Jose came out very early and said you can't evict anybody. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, that's fine for a while because if you evict them, you don't have anybody to replace them with anyway. So you're to zero yeah. in either either case. Uh, but a uh, Eventually, I don't. I I think those eviction moratoria are going to expire. The um, the major apartment lenders, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, have done something similar and and told their landlords who own the apartment buildings, if you don't don't evict your tenants, and we won't require you to pay your mortgage for the next few months, mm-hmm. but they're going to tack on that lack of payment to later. So you're really not forgiving it. So uh, everything we're talking about here is is distress or delaying distress as I see it. Yeah. It's just because to me, it's like, you know, we, we do hold multifamily and we've been pretty lucky in our collection, but I just, I can't help but think like if this ends up being, you know, just a distressed snowball, you know, when you have small, like small owners of multifamily, we're not talking about the Blackstones and whatnot. Like they're the ones who support local businesses, the firemen and, you know, all the property taxes. Like when that stuff gets, you know, delayed, then it's a real issue to public services. Um, 
I, I don't really see a way out of this because there is an oversupply. It's just it, rents are going to have to come down right. across the board. Yeah. And the typical apartment complex is collecting all their rent right now. Yeah. But 15% or more of the tenants in there are actually out of work. <laughs> so, you know, unless they magically get a job sometime soon, you're going to have rent collection problems. Lots to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. That's why I'm, that's why I'm cautious on, on multifamily, obviously. Yeah. But then how does that work? Because if you go forward, if, if people are, are, are having trouble paying their rent, they have, you know, delays and evictions and stuff on that record they're going to have trouble renting down the line, right? And that affects the entire, right. that affects the entire multifamily market. And for individuals, like you're talking about personal financial crises, that's going to take a long time to, to, to fix, right? It, well, I think, I think that's right. My, but most leases are 12 months. So every month, 8% of the leases expire. So if somebody can just hold on for one or two more months and then leave, they didn't okay. destroy their credit at all. They can go move in with with friends or mom and dad. Uh, you know, I, I I think that's how this plays out. And then so people are putting their rent on their credit card right now too, for exactly the reasons you just said. And that will be great for you until the lease expires and then they leave. <laughs> so um, I, I think this just takes a way to play out. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So stay away from new builds, multifamily, especially. <laughs> I think single family rental is still the most attractive right spot from what you're seeing. Well, I think so too, because there's very little new construction going on in single family rental. There's been a lot of discussion of new single family rental and there, there's been some construction, but that doesn't have a lot of vacant competition like apartments do. Mm-hmm. And, and for exactly that reason, we're seeing a flood of money come into the single family rental business a gotcha. flood, and gotcha. not, not looking for great yields just looking for safety backed by an asset with with real title in the united states and shoot you know with a one percent return on a 10-year treasury if i can get a couple percent <laughs> on a house that works gotcha are there specific markets for, for single family rentals. We're actually seeing a lot of interest and, in, you know, we're pretty active in places like Atlanta, Florida, the Southeast. We're seeing a lot of movement there. Um, do you agree with that? Are there other markets that we're missing out or? No, I, I, I agree with that. In fact, I agree with that so strongly. So do all your competitors. So that's, yeah. that's the issue. That's the issue in those markets is you have a lot of competition to buy. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think, you know, if you can stomach it, going to smaller markets and, and betting on people moving to these other areas, you won't have the price appreciation potential, but you'll probably get higher yield. And, and that's what I hear from from our clients is that Phoenix is great and I can be buying all day long, but I can go to Tucson or Flagstaff and get more yield. Gotcha. Like, is it like the Kansas cities, um, Kansas maybe the Asheville? Yeah, like places like that. Gotcha. Um, so I guess, you know, for some practical advice, like if I had something like 5 million to invest right now, single family rentals is where you would just be like, this is look there first and then see what else is available within the real estate market. Or do you think like, you know, the public REITs, the stock market, um, the housing, the housing, the more liquid housing plays, um, are, are priced right, right now? 
Yeah, I don't I don't play the stocks, um, but but you brought up liquidity. So yeah. you know, if you buy something that's liquid, you should expect a lower yield than if you buy something that's that's illiquid. And if you had five million dollars, uh, that's what I would ask you: is that do you need the money back or in the next two years, or do you need to be able to sell it when you need it, or is this something you're investing for your grandchildren? Uh, the real distressed investment opportunities to go back to the opening of our discussion is going to be in office and retail and hospitality and those other sectors. I don't think there's going to be a ton of distress in residential this cycle. Gotcha. And if there is, I think there's going to be a lot of money chasing it, which will yeah. make the price not that cheap. I mean, is hospitality coming back? Like yeah, what? We've, we've yeah. seen the data on that and it, and it is, and it's coming, it's coming back very slowly. In fact, a chart I just read was that the, the typical hotel, I think, was about 30% occupied, and now it's back up to 33 or 34. So call that a comeback, if you will. It's not healthy <laughs> until it's 70. <laughs> so it's got a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, are, are there specific types of hotels that you're seeing, like extended stays, um, budget ends versus the Marriott's and the Starwoods? Like, what is – are people – are people saying like business travel is the first to come back? Airbnb is actually recovering okay. Yeah, no, for now. I've heard I've heard some of that too. Uh, I mean, I don't study the hotel industry like the residential industry, mm-hmm. but I've got enough clients that do it, and I've I've been staying at some of them too. I I think the convention hotels, the business ones, are going to come back last. But the ones yeah. that depend on group gatherings are the ones that are going to struggle the most. I, I've heard that the uh, the luxury hotels on the coasts are already back. Really? Yes. I, wow. In fact, I, I was just talking to somebody who owns several of them uh, who was a, close to 100% occupied this last weekend in California because people were just dying to get out of the house. Wow. It, it, was a, it was a local person that was driving in to spend a weekend on the coast. That's going to do much better than a business-oriented hotel that needs a thousand-person conference to be successful, right? So there's, yeah. there's a big difference there. I can see that. And uh, a trend out of, of China that we're seeing that's kind of interesting is uh, as soon as China opened up, first of all, we saw divorce rates skyrocket. Um, and then we saw a lot of the uh, kind of budget uh, motels get filled up because people just couldn't stand each other anymore. So, right. you know, it's maybe it's not post-divorce, but it's like, I need, I need my space. So it's, a, it's like people are staying like, you know, 10, 15, 30 days in motels to get away from their spouses. I don't know if that's going to be a trend here. Uh, I, I remember that, <laughs> thinking that was going to be a trend here, but I haven't heard that. And, and fortunately, that hasn't happened to any of my friends either. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about other things like, you know, like, data centers and virtualization. We'll be doing an episode with a friend of mine who does like, who basically consults for everyone in the world about gaming. And he's like, he's so bullish on virtualization. He sees that the world's going that way, which means, you know, data centers as a real estate play is really going to be the next, next thing. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the technology that was already trending, some, somebody quipped that it's like the technology movement has been accelerated 10 years. And that, that's what it feels like to me, too. All this work from home, everybody's going to the cloud. Uh, yeah, the gaming has gone through the roof. I mean, my, just to tell you a personal story, my my son was in college, but he had, he had a job and he got let go. And now 
he's sitting at home playing video games, making far more money than he was when he was working. What a life. <laughs> and so the, the video, the, the video business, the online gaming business is just booming. Yeah. It is. It's interesting. We're, we'll be doing an episode to talk precisely about how to do that. Um, right. Because it's, it's, uh, but you know, maybe I'm, I'm older and I think like when we when we talk about gaming, I've always thought, oh, you have to go buy like EA Sports, buy their stock, or you have to, you know, learn to code or get like crazy equipment. Apparently now you can just go in and create an economy for yourself and do very, very well. Uh, so so yeah. there are schools now that are offering the equivalent of athletic scholarships for the best gamers. Like UC Irvine now has scholarships for the best gamers. <laughs> It's be, it's become as important as athletics for this generation. Yeah, I really worry about my kids. Like I'm just like they're gonna go nearsighted so fast. We're still <laughs> limiting their screen time right now, so we'll see. Yeah, um, I think that's this is this has been really interesting. Are there any other trends that you think are are going to be accelerated? So we talked about gaming. We talked about remote economy. What about things like self driving cars and automation? Has that taken a hit? Boy, that's a great question because I've been, I've got a friend um, that runs a company called Cul-de-Sac. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but they're they're building the first no cars allowed development, um, intending to build a city. They're doing it in Tempe right now, and so I, I my initial thought was, boy, you're dead because <laughs> yeah. you, you rely on public transportation, right? Yeah, uh, but I've been following him, and he's got a project under construction in Tempe. Uh, he's not ready to lease up yet, but the interest rate is high. And what has been taking off is these e-bikes, which you can get yeah. around just fine without with these e-bikes. And um, you know, cars are expensive, and so that's that's part of the whole play here. Is I no car payment, no insurance, e-bike, healthy, good for the environment. I think the jury is out. I, I I didn't think he was going to make it. Now, I think he might. That's interesting. I you know there are no bikes for sale anywhere. Like I've right. been trying yeah. to find my kids' bikes for like last two months. They're all sold out. Um, it's, right. Yeah, including Peloton. It's like a seven week wait or something now. Well, I mean, these electric bikes. I mean, you can get ten miles across town very easily too. Yeah. So I mean, most most of your trips really are short distance. Right? So it'd be interesting to see if that if that is a permanent trend or not. That would be interesting. I mean, I think a lot of the urban urban multifamily or urban businesses are going to have to repurpose for that as well. Maybe it's not self-driving cars. Maybe it's the scooters and the e-bikes and the whatever else is yeah. out there. Well, and think of not having to build parking. Yeah. I mean, that, that, what a much better use of the land or something other than parking. <laughs> is that an investable asset? I'm, I'm looking at some parking lots and I'm thinking, you know, for the ones that are flat with the ramps around, you can repurpose that with repermitting. Um, but is that, do, do, you, do you follow that sector? A little bit because some of my clients are, are repurposing shopping malls where the, out, the outlying area of the parking is already not used at all. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get that zone for apartments. And I, I, that's a trend. I think the, um, the re- retail industry in the United States was already getting disrupted and we were going to have less retail space. And I just think this is going to accelerate it dramatically. And so I, 
I do agree with you is that I think a lot of parking space, which is in great locations, would be really ripe for some great housing development. Really ripe. And so by extension, would then parking, like from parking lots to even gas stations, if we're looking at more carless stuff, and then for retail, we're looking at, you know, last minute industrial fulfillment because the economy is just so formidable and growing. Uh, the industrial sector has gotten just blown up recently. Um, is that like, do you think that's still, uh, something that's interesting to invest in or do you think that's gotten expensive? Um, yeah, industrial's gotten expensive because it is the new retail. That's, that's what's holding whatever yeah. you're buying online. Um, yeah. Going back to gas stations, actually, we've debated that a lot internally. They're usually in really great locations, but they're kind of small, and they usually come with some sort of environmental issue with the tank down below. So I, I'm less bullish on gas stations than some of the people I, I work with. Um, so I, w- I would just be careful of the uh, environmental issues there. I see. You know, a friend of mine who owned gas stations came to me and, and proposed this idea about how um, – I guess e-commerce is actually not that expensive until the last mile. But he said, if we can make um, gas stations, we purpose them into last mile pickup locations, then people can drive through and pick up their stuff. It would that's stay. a great idea. That's a yeah. great idea. And you, and you wouldn't have the same environmental issues you would if you were going to build a house on it, for example, right? Yeah. They won't make you clean it up as much. That's a great idea. So I'll come to you with the, the offering memo when that's all set up. <laughs> that's cool. Um, and so in, in terms of trying to get smart about real estate, um, besides hiring you for the people that can't afford to, like what what uh, resources would, would you recommend? Um, so here, here's a, a freebie, really. There, there's a guy named Bruce Norris. It's the Norris Group. Uh who he's a hard money lender and he does a lot of investing himself and, and he does a lot of educational seminars, but I've known him for 25 years and, and he has called the market spot on and he did it again. I mean, two years ago, he said, I think mortgage rates are going to be in the twos and was widely criticized. And lo and behold, we're about to have mortgage rates in the twos. So I, I would check out the Norris group. And then also uh, Fannie Mae, even though they're a government entity, they have a chief economist named Doug Duncan, who's just fantastic. And and he they let him call it like it is without bias. And Fannie Mae has a huge section of free research on their website that most people don't know about. Uh, th- those would be two areas I would I would pay a lot of attention to. Gotcha. Maybe we can get them on the show. Get they both be great. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're amazing. Actually, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so if you don't mind, I just want to close with some questions that we're asking all the guests. Uh, okay. Did I? Is there anything else you want to talk about with regard to real estate, what you do that we haven't covered? No, I, I think we're good. I mean, I'll just I'll put a little plug in mm-hmm. on what we do. So we, you know, we we collect everything we can think of to help big companies make decisions. So we we are expensive. Our minimum research fee is thirty grand a year. Uh, and we have a consulting business too to help people make good investments. So that's uh, I'm done with my plug. <laughs> <laughs> you also you do you also have a podcast that people can follow and listen to? Sure, I yeah. And we, 
And we do one to two free emails every week too. So our, our website is realestateconsulting.com. You can sign up for the emails. We'll email out a summary of the podcast too. Uh, it's called New Home Insights. D- Dean Worley does a great job uh, interviewing really smart people on that. And you don't need to be uh, a paid client to get those or can? Nope. Gotcha. That's so cool. I will, I'll put that on the show's website. Go sign up, get smart, read Fannie Mae. Uh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So I guess just in closing, like what are some of the things that keep you up at night these days? You and I should debate this. So I don't, have you been reading what Ray Dalio from Bridgewater has been talking about? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I read This Time is Different by Reinhardt and Rogoff a long time ago. You're, you know, I, I kind of, what keeps me up at night is the U.S. debt and the U.S. as a reserve currency and the crazy things that are going on in this country. I, I, I wonder if this we're nearing the end of the U.S. as a superpower, if you will. I don't, I don't want to sound like it's that crazy, but we're, we're clearly having problems. And if another country is better off than us, I think they're going to take the lead. So that, that scares the heck out of me. Um, because all my money is in dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Ray, Dal- Ray da- Red Dalio is publishing a lot of that stuff for free, so you can you can read about that as well. Yeah, then, he's been talking I, about it for like fifteen years. <laughs> well, and that that book that I referenced by Reinhardt and Rogoff, the, yeah. they, the conclusions is yeah, this we're leading down this path of destruction, but you can't predict when, even within the decade, right? So it could yeah. be a hundred years from now. Um, but you asked me what keeps me up at night that keeps me up. at night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I really don't understand. Like I didn't really understand Bretton Woods getting off of Bretton Woods. You know, I wasn't, right. I wasn't around to be a part of that decision back then, but I also like was shocked at the formation of the Euro. Um, frankly, I didn't right. think that Euro should exist. Um, no. I, I'm going to get hate mail for that, but I also like, I, I don't understand how, like, cause Right now, we're, everybody's looking at crypto and thinking that's the savior against, you know, us, our reserve currency being blown up and all that. And I'm and I'm wondering if the crypto game isn't going to be a sovereign superpower, right? Like if China came up with something crypto or something like that. To... Somebody that everybody trusts comes up with that. I think you're right. Yeah, but that's that's the issue is do you really trust it? Yeah, like unlike Libra, because people decided right. they didn't trust Mark Zuckerberg so much. I canceled my Facebook and Instagram account years ago for that very reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't keep up with Instagram. I don't know how to take anything flattering. Um, yeah, I, I don't trust what he's going to do with the information. I, right. I, I, yeah, I'm not a fan of his. Yeah, or at least pay me for the information. Not that I'm not interested still. But what gives you hope then, in contrast? Uh, I mean, the entrepreneurial people that I hang out with, like you and I belong to the Stanford Real Estate Council, and just talking to no matter what gets thrown at those people, they're going to figure it out. I belong to a, a group of CEOs called the, the Tugboat Group, and how those guys and gals have maneuvered their companies through all of this is just totally amazing to me. So that's something I don't take for granted is the entrepreneurial culture we have here in America and the ability to pivot and the really smart people who can figure it out. And in the next generation of kids that are most college educated ever, I I think no matter what is keeping me up at night, we're going to figure it out. And so that, that's what gives me hope. That's good to hear the kids. They're the ones out protesting and changing things right now too. (laughs) Yes. Hopefully with masks. 
what's something that's made you really happy recently? Um, well, you know, I, I'm a travel warrior, but I haven't been able to travel. So I'm spending a lot more time at home. And uh, because of that, my wife and I are going for an hour long walk every night. And that's just been great. I mean, I don't want I don't <laughs> want that to end. So but there, and I'm hearing that from a lot of people that they've, they've spent more time. I mean, you brought up earlier the divorce rate when we were talking earlier. <laughs> I, 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 and there's some of that, but I've actually heard the opposite, that people feel busy. People are saying, I've spent so much time with my family the last three months. I'm going to cherish this forever. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's, that's really fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's uh, until they farm, like your really young kids kind of Zoom bomb you and stuff. <laughs> it has been really interesting. You know, it's. I, it, I, I've got to tell you, I've, I've been on with some Zoom bombs. I find it really cute. <laughs> and I actually, I actually feel like I get to know the, you know, somebody I may be having a business meeting with, seeing them in their house and with their kids just really is more. I I enjoy that. Yeah, and I think we've got more of a connection because of it too. So I'm totally cool with the Zoom bombs. Mm. Okay, so I should use my kids as props to. Yeah, barking dogs or something else. Yes. That's different. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. And then, like, are, are you doing anything in this time to kind of improve yourself? Any recommendations you have? Books, workout yeah. videos? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've gone the opposite direction. So my workouts were all in gyms that are all closed. So yeah. I'm, I'm walking now, so that I'm not a good poster child for that. And um, frankly, I've been reading less because as a business owner, this has been a struggle. So yeah. the, consult, the consulting part of my business is very transaction dependent and transactions stopped for a couple months. So that was very stressful, but we, we seem to have righted the ship and, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, a lot of people are really burned out and my employees are burned out too. And so I'm, I'm focused on anti-burnout, actually begging people to take some vacation and things now so they can improve themselves. Cause I, I think this has been really hard on people. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Do you think we're, we're going to see a second wave? Are you anticipating like uh like some kind of recovery reprieve in COVID? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not the expert on that. I, I you know, I'm listening to the experts. It seemed like we, we should be planning on this for being around, whether it's another wave or not for a very long time. So I'm, I'm running our business as if we're going to have to be very cautious of catching the coronavirus, at least through the end of next year. And I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. I mean, we're looking at another year of homeschooling. So it's, uh, it's terrifying. I, I, yeah, I feel really sorry for you. That, that, <laughs> my kids are grown, thankfully. That that is really hard. And that talk about I mean, how much I have a couple employees who are telling me I, I've lost all my free time. Yep. Because I've got to work, and when I'm not working, I'm with the kids, and I'm not. You talk about taking improving themselves. They're not taking care of themselves at all. No exercise, no nothing, because there's no time. That's what we need to fix. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it makes me really appreciate what teachers do and what, you know, the need for early childhood education and all that stuff. Um, I feel like a portion of my business should be donated to PBS kids. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> take so much more screen time than they should have. Right. But yeah. You know, when I was a kid, my parents just used to throw us out in the street and say, see you at dinner. I don't know why we can't do that anymore. That, right? That would, you know, yeah. yeah, I should do that. I mean, like I, I learned English from Saved by the Bell. I mean, back in the day, it was a yeah. whole different. Yeah. Here's a mask. Go ride your bike. I'll see you at dinner. Right. <laughs> so your recommendation is put the kids in the street and buy single family rentals. That's our takeaway for today. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, John. Is there anything you want to add before we before we close this up? No, I, I think that's that's great. Thank, thanks for all your good questions and insight as well. Thank you, and I will put all your uh, links and books and recs in our show notes. And uh, if you have any questions for John, feel free to follow up with us. Um, I will coordinate all that. And uh, take care, stay healthy, and and have a great week. All right, you too. Take Bye. care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lighthouse, a Himalaya learning audio course. Be sure to check out all of the other awesome exclusive content on the Himalaya app or on Himalaya.com. To leave your comments, view our show notes and other resources from our guests, visit our show website at www.oneworldgroup.com forward slash lighthouse.